Uh, we continue to roll out our theme this year, which is Amplify. And uh, the New Testament letter of James, as you know, is, is forming the framework for what it means to live this amplified faith. I want to begin, though, uh, with a quote from Denzel Washington as he was giving a, a commencement address at Dillard University that sort of gets us in the, the direction we want to go with this text. It's a, it's a great quote, and I, uh, I don't know that much about him, but I appreciate the first lines of this commencement address he gave. He says, Put God first in everything you do. Do we have the slide to put up here? There it is. Uh, put God first in everything you do. Everything that I have is by the grace of God. Understand that. It is a gift. I didn't always stick with Him, but He stuck with me. While you're on your knees, say thank you. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for understanding. Thank you for wisdom. Thank you for parents. Thank you for love. Thank you for kindness. Kindness. Thank you for humility. Thank you for peace. Thank you for prosperity. Say thank you in advance for what is already yours. End of quote. At the heart of an amplified life is God at the center of all things. God at the center of all things. Putting God first, in Denzel Washington's words. That is very countercultural because we live in a culture where God is moved more and more to the fringes in our Western culture, our Western environment. But not only is it countercultural, it's counterintuitive because ever since Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of, of, of Eden, we have not wanted to reflect God that is made in God's image. If you look at the Septuagint, which is the, the Greek version of the Old Testament, we are the icons of God. When people saw us, they saw that we were made in the image of God. That's what it means to be an icon. We did not want to reflect God, but we wanted to be God in order to live without God's presence. And this is where James takes us tonight. Traditionally, this text about going to a city and working for a year or two and making money, uh, traditionally it has been thought in all of the commentators to be about the dangers of riches and not only the dangers of being rich, but the danger of ignoring the poor. But note, no one is referred to as, as rich in this entire text, 13 to 17. No one is, is referred to as rich. There is no mention of wealth. I think the text is really talking about something completely different. Uh, one of the, the commentators on James is a, is a, a very, very uh, a great writer and a great thinker when it comes to New Testament the theology, a fellow by the name of, of Scott McKnight, and he writes in his commentary, James is not arguing against the making of money or even against the desire to make money. Rather, he is against the attitude of the self-contained certainty. In essence, James is continuing a thought expressed in the text that we looked at this morning that talked about enmity with God and friendship with the world. What James is addressing here, what James is addressing, he is addressing what friendship with the world and enmity with God looks like in everyday life. Not just what that looks like in terms of our relationship with the church and the community of faith and what it means to be the body of Christ, but also what it looks like in everyday life. What does it look like to live a life that has friendship with the world, and what does it look like to live in the world with enmity with God? Now, James is addressing those who desire to wield control over their lives without thought of God, without any kind of recognition of God or any reference to God. or They, they, want, to, they want to live their life without God hindering them. Notice, again, that James is not against setting goals. 
He's not against setting goals and objectives in life. Notice these two verses. One of them is going to be negative. One of them is going to be positive. Verse 13 is the negative one. He says, today or tomorrow we will go and we will do. Then you drop down to verse 16 and you find the positive. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. Both the negative and the positive verses have this in common. Notice, we will do something. Going out into the world to do is not the issue. The issue is disconnecting God from all of your life because of arrogance and evil boasting. That is what it is that you can wield between these two hands, the strength of these two hands, and the intelligence between these two ears. One way friendship with the world is defined is to conduct life without any reference whatsoever to God. Now, one of the ways in the ancient world that enemies were treated, it was to have their names blotted out of existence. Now, with uh, uh, some apologies to our our resident Latin expert, uh, Randy Thompson, um, I'm probably going to butcher the uh, pronunciation of this, but damnatio memoriae, which in Latin means basically condemnation of memory, what that was in the Roman world was a way for an enemy to be dishonored. Their name was to be forgotten as if it had never existed after they had died. All memory blotted out to live as if that person had never had a presence in the world. The same kind of thing happens, believe it or not, in the modern world. Uh, Here's a photograph of the Soviet uh, commissar Nikolai Yezov with Joseph Stalin. That's him there on the the right, short guy with his hands behind his back walking beside the river. Uh, Sometime after this photo was taken, Yezov fell out of favor. He was executed in 1940. Here's what the doctored photo looks like today. He's not in it. Enmity with God is to try and to forget God. It is to remove God from the picture. It is to go to this city or that city for one or two years and to do this or that and to make money without any reference to God. And he could have used any illustration there. He could have talked about starting a family. He could have started, talked about marriage. He could have talked about any num- getting a college degree. He could have talked about any number of things. He just chooses commerce. But enmity with God is trying to forget God, to remove God from the picture, and this will not do, as James instructs us. And what this passage calls us to think about is really twofold. What does it mean to forget God? And what does it mean to remember God? The first one is this. What does it mean to forget God? Uh, many of you readers uh, read all kinds of books. Uh, many of you know the book by um, uh, Garcia Marquez, 100 Years of Solitude. It was a Pulitzer Prize winner from uh, back, uh, back in the late 80s. Uh, the author, Marquez, describes uh, in, in sort of this magical but realistic way a village suffering from this insomnia plague. And as the plague continues, it gradually causes the loss of memory of, of just about everything that these folks encounter. To try and salvage the memory... Marquez describes how there's this fellow by the name of Jose who develops this elaborate plan that involved labeling everything. He writes, with an inked brush, he marked everything with its name, table, chair, clock, door, wall, bed, pan. He went on to the corral and marked the animals and plants, cow, goat, pig, hen, banana. And as their memory continues to fade, Jose decided that he, he needed to be even more explicit. And so he posted a sign on a cow that read, This is a cow. 
She must be milked every morning so that she will produce milk, and the milk must be boiled in order to mix it with the coffee, uh, to make coffee and milk in the morning. Thus they were living in a reality that was beginning to slip away. It was metaphorical, obviously, but all of the knowledge that made sense of life and all of the knowledge that they had to live life successfully was beginning to slip away. And, and, and when they forgot the values of written letters, they really began to suffer even more. Eventually, the village had to put a placard at the entrance of the town that said, God exists, to remind people that even though they are struggling with life, that God exists. And even though memory of God and date of God is, they had to be reminded that God is connected to them. That knowledge was slipping too. So to forget God is to treat God like what James says, that mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes that was actually describing us. To forget God means to treat God as a vapor. It means to treat God as a mist, that, that it... It is to, 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 to not be consequential or substantial to life. And to be forgotten is to be painful. I ran across this, uh, across this quote up here on the screen. The worst feeling isn't being lonely, but being forgotten by someone you can't forget. How does it feel to be left off of a guest list? Or how does it feel to be left alone in a restaurant because your date forgot? Or how does it feel to be left at school? It feels awful. And James says that human beings do this to their Creator. They forget Him. They live their life without ever making reference, thinking in a referential way back to the one who gave them life and created them out of dust and breathed into the nostrils and made them a living soul, a living nephesh. And this is a problem throughout history. Not just during the, the time of James or the time that we live in today. It is a problem throughout history. Psalm 9, verse 17. The wicked go down to the realm of the dead, all the nations that forget God. In one of the more ridiculous scenes to describe human forgetfulness of God, it's found in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 32. Does a young woman forget her jewelry, a bride, her wedding ornaments? Here's the question. Why do most brides take the entire day of their wedding, take that, that entire day off from all of their normal activities to get ready? It's, it's a day that, that can be described as more than usual, Right? It's time spent getting the hair just right more than usual. It's a day spent getting the makeup right more than usual. The whole day and, and all of her energies. And she even hires lots of people like uh, makeup people and, and hair people to come in and their energies are spent on getting her ready for the, the wedding. The wedding and the groom and the ceremony. That's the focus of the day. But that's not the scenario that James is describing in, in Jeremiah 2. This bride doesn't take the day off because of some pressing deadlines at work. She's got stuff to do. Work's important. It's, it's where she gets her identity. And she goes in early in jeans and a t-shirt. She gets to work on those deadlines. She's working in a fever throughout the day, forgets about lunch. She's so into her work until someone sticks their head into her office and says, Hey, aren't you supposed to be getting married today? 
And she looks at her watch and panic sets in as her wedding is 15 minutes away. She has just enough time to get to the church. She arrives in jeans and t-shirt, no wedding dress, no hair, no makeup. Without her fiancé's ring, how does the groom feel about that? When the people heard this, this scenario from Jeremiah, they just laughed and said, get real, Jeremiah. No one would ever do that. That's absolutely ridiculous. And Jeremiah says, correct, that's the point. And then he finishes the verse. Yet my people have forgotten me. Days without number. And while we might never say it, out loud at least, we do, from time to time, live our lives without any reference to God. We live, we work, we make decisions every day as if there's not a God. We, James would call that friendship with the world that creates enmity with God. We have forgotten God. And the rest of the text is James teaching on what friendship with God means. So what does it mean to remember God? Well, James reminds them of two things that they know that are true about life. And we know these things as truly as well number one no one knows the future and number two life is short how many of you have said that at least together or one at a time throughout life nobody knows the future we don't know what tomorrow may bring how many of you said life is short but what happens if those two things the first one no one knows about tomorrow no one knows the future and number two life is short are employed into our life and our way of living without recognition of god it becomes about me. In chapter 4, verse 15, James reminds them that God is connected to everything. He says, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live. That is to recognize that there is a sovereign in your life. Now this morning we noted that, that James refers to the readers in this letters of this letter as adulterers. And we talked about that this morning, that the reason he does this is that they have gotten the center wrong, like we do in a marriage when adultery comes in. They've gotten the center wrong because they have made it all about themselves and they have, they have put their own desires at the very center, and that's what they think about. On the other hand, in a marriage that is healthy, the center is right and it is connected to all of life which is true with God. Think about all of these different ways in which God's will is expressed in different contexts throughout the Old and New Testament. Uh, let, let me give you the New Testament ones. In Matthew chapter 6, when we pray rightly, it's about God's will and not about boasting of these arrogant schemes. We say in our prayers, your kingdom come, what? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we come to difficult decisions, we submit to God's will rather than looking to spend what we receive on our own desires. Which is what he talks about in verse 3 of this very chapter. So Jesus, in another prayer, in Matthew chapter 26, says, My Father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. God's will is, is to be referenced and 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 centered in our life when we make our life plans. In Romans chapter 1, verse 10, Paul and all of the things that people were always at him to try to get him to do, he says, in my prayers at all times, I pray that now at last by God's will, if it is God's will, that the way may be open for me to come to you. 
That's what it means to have friendship with God. It's to remember God, to remember God rightly, to remember God at the center, to remember God correctly and biblically and doctrinally, but remember God personally, remember God uh, relationally, the center of all things. When you think back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, it all boils down to whether or not God is remembered or forgotten. Eve, as you know, Eve did not literally forget that there is the God of the heavens and the earth, nor did she all of a sudden lose all of the data about God. She merely became a decider and a doer in her life without any reference to God. And in her conversation with Satan, God becomes inconsequential. He becomes like a vapor. He becomes like a mist because before her was a plan to order her own life. And Adam acted without reference to God and ate the forbidden fruit as well. And it entered, it, it allowed entrance into the world all kinds of thorns and thistles and curses. But then there was one who came and in hearing the same voice that Eve heard, tempting him to eat something without reference to God, said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And it was the same one who later in another garden, this one called the olive press or Gethsemane, said, it's not going to be about me. It's not my will, but thy will be done. And he didn't live, but died in order that we might, by God's will, live. And that's what this Hebrew writer is talking about in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. He says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Our whole salvation is, is, is predicated on Jesus remembering God. Our whole reason for being here tonight and the, and the celebration of the grace that we have received that makes us, us predicated on the fact that Jesus overcame the temptation to order his life with, with, without God, forgetting God, but remembering God and God's will. And that God is at the center of all things. And in so doing, he got the death in order for us to get the life. And Jeff's going to lead us in a song right now. And, and maybe one of the things that, that, that you're struggling with in your life right now, things, you know, from time to time, it just becomes kind of a, this intuitive thing that, that, that we can live our life and it just doesn't feel right until all of a sudden we realize that, you know, we've been very short with our prayers if we prayed at all. Or God's Word doesn't seem to be really resonating in our heart because we haven't really been listening to God, nor have we spent much time in that written Word for God to speak to us in such a way that it enlightens us and instructs us and inspires us to live with, us, with God at the very center of all things. And so we haven't felt 
life. And we haven't felt that abundance of life. And we haven't felt the nearness of God. All of those things that he talked about in just the verses preceding this text. There's an opportunity for all of that to change. And with the prayers of your church and the prayers of your shepherds to find yourself reconnecting with God and putting God at the center and so that your life can be ordered in the right way. Or it might be that you've never given God a chance through Christ to make the difference in your life that completely changes you and completely gives you a hope and completely gives you a vision for the future and a brightness and a blessedness to that future that is incredible and is... Well, it's it's actually beyond words to kind of describe. It's better caught than taught sometimes. But we're going to have some shepherds down here at the front that can talk to you about how that can happen about how through through decisions to change your life and the recognition that you're not at the center of life, but that Jesus is Lord. And to have your sins washed away and for God's Spirit and His Word to infiltrate all of the barriers that you once put up, once those have been knocked down, they begin to infiltrate your heart in such a way that you're changed. And you begin to walk in newness of life. If that describes you, we want you to come down and talk to the shepherds as we praise God together. Let's stand and let's sing. To be like the blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of His treasures, Jesus I purpose.